to the Waking Up From Work podcast. My name is Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Welcome back to the Waking Up From Work podcast. This is episode 151 of the show today. This is your host, Dave Swollen. This is where we get to work, making work a passion, living creative full-time. If you are new to the show, this is where we listen to interviews with entrepreneurs, creatives, musicians, and those that are living alternative lives, doing the things that they want to do instead of the things that sometimes we're told to do. So on today's episode, I am really excited to have Tom on. We had some tech issues last time we were on. I've got my hands taped up from being absolutely crushed in CrossFit. So we've got, you know, real world problems here. No, <laughs> we've, uh, well, I'm pumped up to have him on. Um, I'm sure like most that have met Tom, I, I will introduce him in a moment here. I came into your content through YouTube, which uh, he's definitely a YouTuber crushing it out there. But I always look for connecting with people that I feel are on a similar mission or, you know, through verbiage content and things like that. I feel like we have an aligned uh, story or effort so that that way we can, we can support it. And I really felt that from Tom when I was consuming his content, looking for some of the things that he talks on right here. So pumped up to have him on today. So who we've got is Tom Dupree, the third, did I pronounce that right? Nailed it. Wonderful. I usually do some pregame prep there. So everyone know that that was organically it. saying his name correctly on the fly. I want to, I'm proud of that. Tom Dupree <laughs> the third. He is a music producer. He is an indie artist himself producing music that he puts out. He is also a YouTuber killing it out there and does a lot of work in music marketing, music campaigns, and now also a figure in the music in the NFT space, which is very barren, in my opinion, of, of people trying to do some of the experiments that I've seen you do out there. That's one, one thing that I definitely saw. And so, um, yeah, we've got like tons to go into today, Tom. I'd like to welcome you onto the show, man. Thank you for bouncing back and forth between all the schedule stuff to make it happen, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad that it worked out this time and that I didn't drop the ball on uh, my technical difficulties once again. Um, you didn't, man. That's that's just <laughs> not a Tom thing. That's just like the universe we live in, which is you can be an audio engineer with three redundancies in everything you do and run into tech problems. And 100%. that's life, my man. Life in 2022. Yeah. That's how it goes. <laughs> We're all victims of the Zoom generation now. Um, 100%. Well, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. I'll, um, I guess I'll talk about myself a little bit. Um, I mean, you pretty much nailed it with uh, your introduction of me. I am a musician. I've been a full-time career musician for going on 15 years, um, pretty much straight out of college into music. You know, I held a few odd jobs while being in bands, kind of getting my feet underneath me, um, figuring out how to make a living at this, um, but then have been fortunate enough to do this and only this for quite some time now. And, um, like Amazing. many, many things with, uh, creative work or entrepreneurship, which, uh, I've always viewed myself as an entrepreneur in music. I think that, mm. 
I think artists and musicians have far more in common with tech startup uh, founders and entrepreneurs than we do with probably most other kinds of creative businesses. Um, Me too. So being a, you know, a startup uh, entrepreneur, many startups in the form of bands um, and many startups in the form of other music ventures. Um, I've had a wide swing of ups and downs of victories and defeats um, as I think most people in music have had. But the one thing that has kind of always kept me going is the, the pursuit of <laughs> a not getting a real job <laughs> and <B, laughs> um, really wanting to spend my time doing the things that I'm passionate about and to connect with other people who are passionate about similar or the same things that I really think are important. Uh, I started out playing the drums. I started playing drums when I was uh, nine and built the majority of my career as a musician playing the drums. I uh, was in a bunch of bands. Uh, I've been signed to uh, major labels. I've played with artists on major labels. I've played for uh, Grammy-nominated artists, multi-platinum-selling artists. I've played drums in pretty much every arena in North America, every uh, major amphitheater in North America. I've played some iconic venues. There are a few that, you know, have escaped the list that may not get ever checked off, like, you know, Madison Square Garden, but I'll just have to live with that. Um, <laughs> so I, I had some really, really cool experiences as a drummer. And I got to sit across the table from some of the most powerful people in the world of music uh, and hear them tell me things that were true. And then hear me, he'll hear them tell me things that were very, very obviously not true, but I had mm. to sit there and kind of take it anyway. Yeah. and. I did that for a very long time, um, started kind of in the, like having equity as a member of the band version of this. And, um, as I got older and wanted to, uh, continue to do this, but income didn't justify it. Having a piece of a band that was kind of fluctuating up and down all the time. Sure. Um, I moved into being a hired gun and playing for other artists and that was very fruitful and a ton of fun. And I did that for many years. And then, um, like with so many of us, I met a girl and, uh, she ruined everything and I came off the road. <laughs> no, that's right. Not true at all. Um, she, my <laughs> wife is incredibly, incredibly supportive of every single thing I do. Um, I, it, it was my decision when we got married to stop touring cause I wanted to be a good husband. And, um, I got another opportunity to, uh, play with a band called tonic a couple years after I quit touring for good. And it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. We had already had our first kid. So I went out and did that. And wow. it was the best gig I've had. Uh, if you're going to have a gig, it gets no better than Tonic. It's amazing music. It's amazing people. Uh, it's just a ton of fun. And I, around the same time I started playing for Tonic, I started posting videos on YouTube. And I did that because I had always been the drummer and I had never been an artist. What and year was, was that, Tom? Uh, twenty eighteen. Sorry to break you. Um, yeah, yeah, all good. Um, so I was uh, twenty eighteen, and I, right before that, had started a podcast of my own with a friend of mine called the Music Stuff Show, and all the episodes are still out there if you want to go catch up on where I kind of began this journey. Sure. And I was sharing a lot of the information I knew to be true from my experience in music, but I had never done it as an artist. And I knew that there was a level of hypocrisy in there on my end, at least I felt that there was, that I didn't have the appropriate level of skin in the game to be making the claims that I was making. And so mm. I decided 
I wanted to release music of my own as an independent artist, no label, no help. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't draw on any of the contacts I have. I just did it on my own. I just put a song out on Spotify and started talking about it on YouTube. And for me, it's very important that the people that I pay attention to back up what they're telling me with their own personal action. Right. Uh, I'm not going to take weightlifting instruction from somebody who's never lifted weights in their life. Right. Yep. Um, I'm not going to learn how to box from somebody who's never been punched in the face. So it was important that if I was going to share my experience, it needed to be authentic. So I started releasing music and I started talking about it on YouTube and it kind of started to take on a life of its own. And ultimately I arrived at this place where the things that people were asking me the most about was marketing, Facebook ads, playlisting before that. Um, And I discovered there was this, now, in hindsight, very obvious gap in the market Huge. Of, of people who were releasing music and talking about how to succeed at that. And I was like, there were a handful of other people who were talking about it from kind of different angles. And the one guy who I got kind of connected with very early on was Andrew Southworth. And he and I have kind of been kindred spirits ever since. He's, he and I are kind of YouTube buddies, and we talk about pretty much the same thing on our channels. Cool. And Andrew was the only other person who was making music and putting it out and then reporting on that. And so he kind of won my, my uh, heart over with his videos because he was doing the very thing that I was doing. Sure. And so I just kept down that path. It, it turned into this thing where I just was like, well, what do people want? What are they asking me? The comment section would fill up with requests. Can you talk about this? Can you look into this? Can you do the research? And so I just started becoming a human guinea pig. And I would look into stuff. I'll spend the 50 bucks on, you know, Fiverr, uh, SoundCloud prom- promotion, excuse me, so you don't have to. And then I'll tell you how it goes. I'll tell you if it sucks or I'll tell you if it was worth it. Yeah. And people seem to really appreciate that. And so that has sort of snowballed into now I've got a, a course out. I never thought I'd be a person who released an online course, but just kept getting requests for it. So I bashed all of the information I had at the time into a course. and. We've got a course out. Uh, I now run an agency where I advertise for other artists. Uh, I do consultations, like all these things that I never would have thought. I, I, didn't, I didn't plan for it to go here when right. I started making videos on YouTube. I just wanted to share what I was thinking about. And through that process, it got so busy and so demanding of my time that I stopped touring with Tonic, which I hated to do. And I still do miss it from time to time. But it's been such a huge blessing, too, because now I get to spend my days doing the very thing I want to be doing. I see my wife every night. I see my kids every night. And I'm building a business that really serves people. And I I also get to keep making my own music at the same time. And so it's kind of the best of both worlds. I get to do what I started out to do. But also there's this huge benefit that I get to help people. And I get to help people do something that I think is really important. And that's making music. Yeah. Hell yeah to all that, man. Like, so breaking down a lot of different things in there. First of all, I love your transgression. I think it's such an honest, uh, like an honest way to take transit to what you've become at this point, because all you did is you took your amongst obviously all the endless, tireless hours and (laughs) effort. So I don't want to make it simple, but I'm just saying like you responded to the market, like any other business out there, if you're looking at the big businesses, they respond to the market and they 
They create something that's not being offered or created to serve the market. So you're looking through comment sections, you're reacting to things and you're creating and doing the things that people are asking you to do. And also where there's a void in the market, when you're talking about, you know, you look at yourself as an entrepreneur first, but just living in and passionate about the music space. I also Mm -hmm. feel that way, even though I'm so uh, producer and engineer forward, I just don't think, I think that's way too narrow when you only look at something like that one thing, because with any part of the music industry or any industry, you're not trying to do just one thing to get one result. You're doing something for a broader result. So I feel like it's narrow to only think about the one thing past. Obviously you got to put in your expertise if that's the thing you're passionate about, but so you're, you're listening to the market and you're seeing a void in the market and not for nothing, but like even with awesome creators like you, and I think you noted Andrew, which I haven't checked out, but I'll definitely check out his stuff as well. I still feel like there is such a void with it. And I feel like this is still an industry that, that formal education has been trying very hard to integrate, but they are not always sure of how to integrate. It's get, I mean, formal education, I've seen great things that were never in the past and that's awesome. But also like even just on the web or anywhere, it just seems to be for whatever reason, something that people have a very hard time articulating or offering in a concise way that's effective, or they just straight up don't talk about it. There's still a Mm -hmm. huge void of information on there where it's strange to see in so many other industries where people are very transparent about this is the thing that I did to get these results. And you can Mm -hmm. do the exact same thing with these results. If you're, if you're good at with what you do, these are the way that you can achieve this. It still seems like a very, very secretive industry until you literally talk to people and be like, what did you do? It's not like out there for some reason. And and I I think it's getting better where you see like, you know, uh, me and like a a mastermind for audio business, we all love Mm -hmm. the Ari Herstan stuff. You know, there's a lot of people that are out there that are speaking louder and I'm loving it. Lots more conferences coming up in the recording space, but overall, man, I mean, I think the work that you're doing and and the mission and, and the void in the market, I still think it's very much alive still. Yeah. And that it's awesome that you're uh, attacking it that way. You know? Yeah. Ari is a great person to bring up. I I don't, I haven't really consumed a lot of his content, but I am aware of him. Um, And he is another person who has released music. He has a big catalog of music out there under several names and several bands. And I think that's one of the reasons he has remained successful in this space. I'll say, because I think that I'm probably in pretty much the same space as him. Uh, It's that he's a practitioner. Uh, you look at somebody like Gary V. I mean, he didn't really mm-hmm. start sharing his opinions online until he had done all the things that he now talks about ad nauseum. I mean, he's basically got five bullet points that he talks about over and over and over again because people just need to continue to hear it. But it's all built on top of his experience that he did himself. Right. Uh, unfortunately, on in the internet, on the internet at large, it's very easy to be a fake guru. Uh, and in the music business, especially, it's a business that is purposefully opaque from the top down yes uh, it's, it's an industry that that. Is, yeah it's been built uh to keep artists in the dark to turn artists into uh employees and revenue generators but not entrepreneurs and not business owners it's mm. uh i think about it like if you know if instagram um had started with the sole purpose of selling to facebook they probably wouldn't have succeeded 
they bought, they built something that they thought was cool. And then Facebook took note once it was successful. But when Facebook bought it, they didn't, they didn't cut them off at the knees and oust everything that was good about the company. They kept the company intact. They didn't say this is a new Facebook app. They said, it's still Instagram and Instagram still runs Instagram. And the owners of Instagram still have a vested interest in Instagram until they decided to leave. But when they bought the company, they didn't buy the company to just solely turn these guys into employees. They bought them because of the magic that they were creating and wanted them to continue to create. The traditional record deal takes an artist and only gives them 12% of their revenue or of their income, not even their revenue, of their profit. Yeah. Uh, and so you, you, uh, you immediately turn somebody into an employee and then you wonder why they're not super enthusiastic about serving your bigger business when you've cut them off at the knees. And so I think right. the new version of this is guys who are transparent, guys like Ari, guys like Andrew, and I think guys like myself who we're going to put it out there. We're going to tell you what works and what didn't work. I think that's another very important part. Yes. I think the guys who are really successful, not just in my space, but just in sort of giving advice on the internet at large is, is they're transparent and they're authentic. I did this. It didn't work. I fell on my face. Um, don't do that. And I think that's important because when you start, when you keep just feeding people victories, it starts to ring hollow and it starts to feel disconnected because everybody doesn't win all the time. Yes. We all need to know that we don't all win all the time you're going to put out a song and it's going to suck objectively. And there's nothing you can do about that. All you can do is get back on the horse and try to write a better song. And maybe that one will do better. And we've all done it and we'll all continue to do it. Uh, Some of the biggest artists in the world put out flop after flop, but then they hit that one and it knocks it out of the park and nobody remembers the bad songs. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. I think that, on that point, and actually also another point earlier, when you were, it's funny when you were saying how I think that artists and, and entrepreneurs in the music space function more like a tech CEO than they do with other companies. Legit, on the interview before this one with an artist management company, yeah, they, we were just talking about how fast the music industry moves in terms of a creative I think that it moves faster than many other creative industries exponentially. Yes. And that's, I don't think that's favoritism. I think that that, I think it really does change that rapidly. And now how technology and music that are both the fastest moving things ever are now intersecting and intertwining and becoming DNA yes. with each other. And yeah. how now you need to know the tech of what's affecting that mm-hmm. and the music and creative. Yeah. And it's rapid, but then yeah. like also, uh, like on your point with that, I guess, like it's a fast changing thing. And also, you know, the transparency point of it is having like a, not even like a, a comeback. I think like tech has been squeezing transparency out of things forever. Mm-hmm. Like it's just continually every industry. It's like something got into it and it's been sitting there growing roots of like, how do we squeeze out the BS and become transparent? Like every, you yeah. know, you see, cars trying to get away from like the sleazy cars men where things are getting more chill. Like you see uh, this happening in terms of like large societal issues, like things are coming out, information's coming out, 
people are able yeah. to take videos and share it instantly. And just this yeah. is happening everywhere. And you just don't want to be the person that's still sitting there trying to make things opaque when things are mm-hmm. transparent. And now is the yeah. time where people are loving the authenticity of all social content. They're drawing to it. So you have literally brands trying to figure out large brands. And when I say that, big companies right. trying to market with authentic mm-hmm. content. And it's so crazy to finally see that to be like, oh, even a major, major brand is straight up going to pay a TikTok influencer to just mm-hmm. be like, this is the shit that I like or I don't like. Mm-hmm. And that's the commercial. TikTok is essentially just a marketing platform at this point. It is. Yeah. My, my wife is pretty successful on TikTok. She's got over 200,000 followers. And wow. so she's part of that creator fund and she does some deals uh, from time to time. And so I'm privy to kind of how that works. I'm at like 900 followers on TikTok. It's not something I've really put much uh, energy into. So yeah. I'm not one to talk, but um, you know, she tells me about kind of how, like how the deal flow works over there. And it really is. I mean, it is basically turning into just an authenticity uh, marketing engine. That's essentially mm. what it is. is. Are you a mom? Do you use backpacks for your kids? Just put this backpack in your video and we'll give it to you for free. It's what yeah. kind of happened on Instagram, but now it's the whole point of TikTok is no filter, authenticity, no polish, hold the phone up and let's just go. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That connects more and more and more with people. Yeah. So that authenticity, I mean, yeah. That's, I'm sure, why you're successful, man, in terms of yeah. a lot of other, amongst many other things. But that authenticity yeah. does reign through on your YouTube channels. And also, thank you, man. When you're watching it, especially because you straight up back it up with experiments and things that, like, I know you're, you talked in one video about being like an Excel guru or something, but you straight <laughs> yeah. up show you're like, these are the things that are happening. And it's yeah. like, people are so not used to always seeing the content where you're like, this yeah. is the thing that happened, good or bad. And you're like, mm-hmm. the end. This is the thing and that you, happened. And that's the content. And, that's why it's so yeah. awesome. Because people are like, and it's, thank God. It's hard sometimes too, man. Because when, when you have, there was a period uh, in, at the end of 2020, like mid to the end of 2020, I had a string of failures. Release after release, bomb after bomb, mm. uh, campaign after campaign. And I was like, you know what? I kept having to make videos about it because I have to put a video out and people are now expecting me to do this. Yeah. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to make a whole series about this. I'm going to make a whole series about everything that I do wrong. And I did. And it went great. And people like that was one of the most successful, I would say sort of periods in my come up as a YouTuber of people commenting like, dude, thank you for being so honest and sharing this with us. Yeah. And I mean, it really, it works. Transparency is very, very important. And the further, you know, the further that tech infiltrates music, I think the more transparent our business becomes and the more transparent it becomes, the more obvious the faults of the, let's just call it the greater system of the music business. Right. The more obvious those faults become to people who are not in the business. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by crypto and NFTs, which you mentioned at the very beginning, and I know you want to get into. Totally. That's one of the reasons I'm so enamored with the technology is because I I think we're on the precipice of people with money to invest 
and people with the desire to invest, venture capitalists, angel investors, people like this, seeing opportunities for investment in music. Because one of the biggest differences between tech and music, you have all these, this litany of similarities between founders and artists and team members at startups and bands. I mean, the similarities are very, very similar (laughs) to use the word twice. Um, But the big difference is in tech, it is expected that you're going to take this idea, oftentimes starting with just a slide deck, and you're going to go try to get $100,000 of seed investment to start this thing. Sure. Or $10,000 of seed investment. In music, this traditionally looks like, hey, mom, hey, dad, can I borrow $5,000 to run Facebook ads? And yes, companies do start that way too. Jeff Bezos started Amazon with a big influx of cash from his family and arguably may not have been able to make that company succeed without it. I would argue that he probably would have done it anyway, but yeah. it certainly made his life a lot easier at the beginning. And for us, that same system is, is here of getting support from mom and dad, getting support from friends and family. But what after that? We don't have a venture capital system in music. We don't have an angel uh, found or an angel investor system in music, but that exists in Silicon Valley. And now Silicon Valley is global, but that exists in that culture. And it's one of the reasons companies are able to scale so rapidly. I mean, you've got companies like Uber that still have yet to turn a profit and they're publicly traded. You know, people are investing in the future of this company. We don't have that in music. And so a lot of artists just can't get it off the ground, no matter how talented they are, no matter how hard they're willing to work. Because if I'm spending 40 hours of my week at a job to make enough money to then take the two hours a night to do this, not to mention, in a, you know, my case, your case, we're married, having mm. to invest into your marriage, having to yeah. invest into your kids. The thing that dies is that dream. If you're a startup founder and you get that seed investment, then that's all you can focus on. I'm quitting my job. I'm going full time at this. And if a year, a year goes by and I'm broke and I can't make it work, I'm going to get another job. Like yep. I got a hundred grand to float me. I have a year of runway to try to make this thing work. Right. We have never had that system in music except for the record deal. And the exactly. record deal exactly. cripples the artist <clears throat> in exchange for that seed investment. NFTs, I think, are traditionally, traditionally, right? It's still very new, but right. for the past year, have been the playground of pretty much the ultra rich, especially on Ethereum. And that includes the crypto rich somebody who flipped a board eight for $500,000. Right, right. These people have money. They want to invest it. They come from a culture of investment and a culture where money talks. And now they're turning on the music NFTs. Right. Now they're excited about music NFTs. Now they want to invest in artists who are making music NFTs because if you can make the next artist pop off with your funding via NFTs, You get to tell everybody at your dinner club, I told you so. This is the one that I own. It's number two that he ever put out. And now it's worth a million dollars. Yes. Yes, dude. makes me excited. So, yes, I, it's, it's a hard time right now when you're really excited about about NFTs being in the whole party of excitement for NFTs, but being specific to the excitement for this, this trajectory. Because like me personally, I do investing myself in real estate and some other Mm -hmm. asset classes and things like that. I love 
I do love crypto. I'm not like a, a crypto bro where I'm like all in on it, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure. active about it. My main thing as a person is I bet on, like, I, I'm a, I've been a huge history person. I am obsessed. Like I've done sales for a long time for my day job. So I'm always about like understanding why are people doing the things that they're doing? It has nothing to do with anything else. All I want to know is why do people do the things that they do? What did they do mm-hmm. cyclically? And what can we anticipate that they'll do again? Because at the end of yes. it, regardless of all of these influences that are shaping things throughout time periods and culture and everything like that, we are the same human body structure that's been around for thousands yep. and thousands, and thousands of years with the same monkey brain doing mm-hmm. reactions to things. So I always yeah. look at things coming into the game and I say, with this here, what do I think that this will do with what's happened and with the way that mm-hmm. people react? And for me, yeah. that's been how I've been looking at it for NFTs. Whenever I talk about it, people will be like all, all up on me immediately being like, you know, you get mixed. There's definitely people excited too. But oh, yeah. people, when you're starting to talk about it for music, especially, and maybe we can talk to it, but I don't want to dwell on it. Like the hit piece thing that just definitely like that's <laughs> yeah. up the conversation more. So I have more bullshit yeah. to get through before I, I don't want to give conversation. that any air time. I don't want to give that any, he doesn't deserve uh, air for the fire because Fair. he did it on purpose and he did it to get attention. And I don't think he deserves any. Okay, then I'll edit that out of the podcast. I'll literally no, no, leave, leave it in there. I want, to hear, I want people to hear me say that about that. So okay. maybe they'll follow suit and stop talking about it. Love you. Love it. Yeah. Um, but on that note, like, that is what I'm betting on when it comes to the future is that people for all of time have always been wanting to invest in things when they're early to get a return on investment. Yeah. They will always do that. They will always be people that are wor- like in on more risk. There will always be people just in terms of the addiction. Literally, the like investing is really not a lot different than when I'm in Vegas and I see people betting on slot machines. It's the <laughs> excitement yeah. of the win. And like I, yeah. I read a I read yeah. a book on uh on it's like the uh it is the hunter and gatherer's guide to the 21st century, and it talks about like mm-hmm. that thing that I noted, like how we think. based off of where we're at in this modern time now. And it talks about how like we like big rewards because inherently if we were to kill a Buffalo or kill like a deer or something, you know, it's really hard and it took up like a week of us following the thing around. We could feed the tribe for a month. And it's like, what you're talking about is literally the reason giant sloths don't exist anymore. They're like, there were animals that were five times as tall as elephants and we killed them all because of that very thing that you're talking about. Yeah. That's why they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that that mind is still here. We just have a different that's thing exactly that's happening. Right. And so We're channeling people it are like a different different thing. Yeah, they still want the big win. They still act like that. And it's still mm-hmm. like people will bet on anything. You saw like when COVID turned and you had a bunch of sports shut down. People yeah. were like doing huge bets on like Russian ping pong players because they're like, <laughs> yes. how can I bet on something and win money I've and win to. big? Yeah, right? I got to be in the hustle. Yeah. This is now the time where mm-hmm. I believe music is on the verge of being a new asset class for yeah, what you're I saying, for this ability to cut, to cut the opaque out, to cut that middle mm-hmm. thing that's been blocking it for so long. Yeah. When you have these smart contracts and this way of just like cutting the bullshit out of like, when I invest this thing, this thing happens. No one gets yeah. to change anything in there on it and writes this in history. 
-hmm. Now it becomes an asset class. Now indie artists can go past even the fundraising that they've been able to do from crowdfunding before and take that next level and hit new pockets of being able to say, Mm -hmm. I know what music videos I want to do. I know what ads I want to do. I know where I want to tour. I know what I want to hit. I need the money. And now I don't need someone to take a percentage out of it. And I'm sure that many different things will change in that space. Record labels will obviously be reacting and figure out how they're around and what they're doing. They're going to be there and it's either going to be good or bad, but I'm excited for the disruption to finally hit our industry. I think it's, it's the democratization of the benefactor. Uh, and it's, yes, it's, uh, it is, um, an outsized upside potential, um, in your wager, right? Uh, and we're drawn to uh, high upside, low cost of entry bets just as a species. But it's also the democratization of the benefactor. Historically, uh, the artists that we know on a first name basis uh, generally had benefactors supporting them. The only yeah. reason Michelangelo has stood the test of history is because the Medici family bankrolled him. It's the only reason he made, he was able to survive off of his craft to make all the things that he did. Mm. Um, and that's the case with a lot of artists throughout history. The Medici family, you know, back in Italy, um, was one of very few, uh, families with a lot of money, right? But nowadays you've got technology in the form of NFTs where I can be a benefactor for $5 for an artist that I like. And if that artist can collect, you know, a hundred of me, now they've got $500 to put into their craft to put into their business. And at the same time, I get the potential outside upside for my wager early on. I'm willing to make that $5 bet both to potentially make a lot of money, but also makes me feel good. I get to support, support somebody doing what they do. Right. And I think that now that we have that, things are going to change. I think the the record label is always going to be there. Um, just like the blue chip company is always going to be there. GE has been around longer than God. JP Morgan is still here, right? Vanderbilt is, you know, has a university that has stuck around. Uh, these things are all here. They're always going to be the big ones. But the long tail distribution is changing. And now we've got people who can throw people, the people who play in NFTs and play on, on the chain, especially yeah. on Ethereum. These are people who totally will throw 10K at something. Yeah, dude, let's throw 10K. I made a million dollars this year. I'll throw 10K at that because if it works, I'll make another million. And if it doesn't, it's 10K. I'll make it back somewhere else because right. I have a portfolio of small bets. I've placed 100 wagers uh, this year at $10,000 a piece. One all, I mean, this is, this is venture capital. This is exactly yeah. how venture capital operates. This is exactly how startup incubators operate look at y combinator they have tons of companies that yeah yeah but they have a handful of unicorns that pay for the whole party i i believe i read and i'm going to misquote this i'm sure but coinbase with their direct listing made more money than all the other bets y combinator has made combined one pay for the whole party and this is how record labels work as well right labels have always worked that way the problem is they completely destroy the the golden goose uh once it produces the first egg yeah they do yeah that's interesting i i remember uh like literally on my on my bachelor party i went to vegas and i just remember i didn't have a ton of money at the time so it was always like let me just be so 
uh, bland at betting and just like catch a cool <laughs> cup yeah. point. And then finally I'd be like, I'd be winning and I'd be like in a good spot. And I would yeah. just wash, watch these dudes come in on the roulette tables. Cause I was there for a while on one night and I kept scrapping my way up and I'd finally got to like 500 to a thousand. Cause I kept being like yeah. green or red or I'm sorry, yeah. black or red, like just 50, yeah. 50 until I get there, you know, yep. and people would come in once in a while. They would literally come out of nowhere, jump in a seat and be like, boom, like $10,000, lose it all. And then just walk away with their drink. And I would just sit walk there and be like, away. oh my God, that's mm-hmm. like my three years of rent. Like how did yeah. it, you know, but that's exactly what you're talking about is the people out there. And that's what we were yeah. talking about before the episode of like, we were talking about like, there are, there are fish swimming around out there that have money to do things that it's like they shoot a laser at it and it yeah. just is successful because it's yeah. really hard to not be successful if you just have a laser beam of money just pounding marketing, pounding distribution, influencing people and just doing things. And that's why yeah. some of these brands that you're talking about from the 1920s, the 1800s, why they're yeah. still not dead, even if they've had 50 years of bad business is because right. once you get that laser beam there, but the exciting part is that everyone now is starting to get an opportunity to have like a little laser gun, you know, like yeah. I can bet $5, I can bet $20 on this band. Mm-hmm. It's a local band, but you and I both know that you're in this, you know, you're in the scene right now and you will see a band. You're like, I know by their character and the way that they're mm-hmm. operating and the way that they're acting yeah. in this venue. I also am watching their moves I know yeah. that they're going to be successful. I also yes. love this band. And so you're like yeah. almost combining crowdfunding with investing at the same time, but you're giving yeah. that ability to like literally the fans, which is what all of us want. So that's why yeah. I'm pumped about it. And when you, when you pull back the curtain and you increase that transparency, you start to bring smart money into the system. You know, we get our ability to throw five bucks here and there if we want to, but you get somebody who's smart, who has money to come into the system. And these are the people who start rebuilding things so that it makes more financial sense for everybody because they know that a healthy bottom line is only as strong as the people who are producing the product that needs to get sold. Right. So you get smart money into the system. You get smart bets, smart plays. And then we have a system that actually functions as it should. And you have artists who now have financial stability. I think, I think one of the great tragedies of music as a business um, has been the absence of financial stability for the artist. Yeah. Because when I am free, when my bills are paid and I got a little bit extra going into savings and my week looks good, I'm good to sit down and spend three hours working on a track. I don't worry about what I'm not doing. I don't worry about what I haven't made that week. Um, and so when my needs are met and my bills are paid and, my, and I'm financially stable, I feel good about taking the time that I need to take to be creative. Right. But when, I'm not, when my needs are not met, I feel guilty about that. And I'm yes. willing to bet I'm not the only person who feels that way about making music. Yeah. When you, when you found a startup and you get that initial capital influx of money and you're able to, you're able to spend all of your time focusing on building this business, and you don't spend your days feeling guilty about not working hard enough at your day job. You don't have a day job. This is your day job. The only thing that matters is building this thing. And while maybe financial stability might be a stretch because you're a founder and you're eating cup ramen, mm-hmm. you have your needs met. Your bills are paid. 
You're not going to get kicked out on the street. Everything is okay. Yeah. And you can devote 100% of your energy on this. We need that in music where we can give artists the runway to have their needs met and have financial stability. Not only will that solve a lot of structural problems in music, but it's going to solve a ton of mental health problems that artists uh, traditionally struggle with as well. Seriously, How many people turn to means that they otherwise would not have to try to pay the bills just so they can keep chasing that dream? Yeah, man. We need to see that go away. And artists shouldn't have to work six jobs so they can squeeze out one hour of producing a week with the yeah. hope that their talent can be shared with the world. The whole starving artist model. It's like, yeah. dude, it's, it's got to go. go man. You know? It's got to go. We've, we've yeah. got to give artists the financial stability to, to create what we enjoy consuming. I have, I have the library of Alexandria of music in my pocket right now through Spotify. And I pay yeah. $10 a month for that. That's yeah. not fair. It's not fair at all. Yeah. Even if that only, if that stayed at $10 a month, I would happily, if given the opportunity, invest into the artists whose music I consume a lot of, if there were NFTs available for me to do that, a yeah. lot of the, the artists I listen to on a regular basis, if it was very obvious to me where I could find their NFTs, if there's a little, you know, you have your links on uh, Spotify in your bio, you know, a link to OpenSea. Okay, click, go through. This guy's selling his songs uh, for you know, his NFTs to support what he does. I will absolutely buy one. Totally. Absolutely. So People buy merch right now. This. Right? Yeah. But so you only sometimes want this. so many band shirts. Like, and this is now right. a digital asset where it's literally like, like for me, I almost only wear <laughs> band shirts, dude, because mm-hmm. I just go to shows and I buy local artists. So I right. get to a point where I'm like, what can I buy from this person now that they don't sell CDs or like so a lot of them <laughs> right. still sell records. I'm like, what can I buy to support this person? Right. But also like, I actually will get kicked out of my house for my wife. If I try to take up any more <laughs> of the closet, cause I already take 75%. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. You know? I would much, I would much rather thing. have my collection on a digital bookshelf in my, my wallet, just full of cool music NFTs. That, that to me is a lot more exciting. Exactly. Yeah. And so Tom, like, dude, I have a lot of pieces of your life that I want to pick at on the show. And I'm sorry, I'm so focused on, on, on NFT, but I do have more that I want to extract out of you because you've taken these experiments on it Yeah, right now for artists. One thing, when we're talking about voids and information, this Mm -hmm. is a huge void. It's also a fast developing piece and changing from what it will ultimately be in my opinion. So I understand why it's hard to create. Yeah. Through your experiments, I know that you've sold some of your NFTs from your music on OpenSea and you've mm-hmm. explored some other ones, both on Ethereum and other crypto. Uh, I think it was Polkadot where it's like different in terms of gas fees, but also in terms of the way that mm-hmm. people experience. But also yeah. you have like sound.xyz out there. You have mm-hmm. some other things that are kind of bubbling up here. What is your take right now? If I'm an independent artist, how should I be approaching selling my music as an NFT or, or where? between these markets or spaces, are you seeing the space currently right now? We're in the kickoff yeah. of 22 in February. So I'm sure by the time someone listens to this episode next year, <laughs> be completely outdated, <laughs> probably irrelevant. Tell me, I told you so, or tell yeah. me like you were right, whatever you want to say, but yeah. like, what's your, what's your vibe, man? Cause you've been experimenting more than I've seen a lot of other people do. So yeah. I'd love to feel you out on that. 
Well, I think uh, the first thing I would say, and I've sort of learned this the hard way, um, is I hate how much music is undervalued. Having said that, when you're first starting out with NFTs, I would sell them for a bit lower than you want to. Because the point is to get them in the hands of your audience so yeah. that they have a vested interest in your success. If, if I give you an NFT of mine and it's one of 10 and you like what I do, you're going to hang on to that damn thing. Yeah. And when I put out more and my NFTs start going up in value, your NFT goes up in value and you get financial upside from being early. Sure. So that's one side of it. The other side of it is to be strategic about where you place multiple copies versus one of ones and what those <laughs> look like. I think a, the most effective strategy in my head is a collection of NFTs that are limited edition copies for, let's say, $5 a piece. Um, a great example of this uh, that I'm using right now is a platform called Fanfare, fanfare.fm. And they're built sure. on the Flow blockchain. It is uh, no fees to mint. Uh, and you can pay in fiat, you can pay with a credit card. So your audience can immediately be onboarded to their platform very easily. Uh, they don't even have to have a crypto wallet. They can just buy it with a credit card and then figure out the details from there. Interesting. So it's a great place to get on board. I like Fanfare for the um, limited edition, uh, $5 a piece. So I've got a couple on there right now. I've got 10 copies of each, not remaining, some have sold, but starting 10 copies of each, $5 a piece. Another one uh, that's built on Polygon, it's, just, it's similar, is one called Mint Songs. It's very much kind of the same thing. So yeah. you want to have, you know, three to five bucks a piece, 10 copies. You want to make it scarce, but you want to make it accessible. Then you get to your one of ones. So right. with, uh, with the multiple copies, I'll just use my, my cover art, no text, and the music, stat, uh, static image. But with my one of ones, I like to put in more work. So I'll animate the cover art. I'll make it a different experience. And then I like to auction those whenever possible. So let's say I'm doing it on Solana through something like Holoplex, which is a great uh, platform to kind of make your own store. Um, I'll list it on Holoplex, blast it out to uh, my audience and say, bidding starts at 0.1 souls. As of today, that's about nine bucks. Sure. So bidding starts at $9. And it's just like eBay. You, you place a bid, somebody outbids you, you get hooked. Screw that guy, I'm going to win. Yeah. And all, you, all it takes is two people, right? But then you have that one of one. After that, after you've sort of sold some limited editions, some one-of-ones, then you want to think about kind of what you have on the other side of these things. And this is where having a dedicated Discord server or discounts on merch really comes into play. Sure. I don't, I don't want to see a world where NFTs become yet another thing that artists have to keep up with because we already have to keep up with Instagram and TikTok and podcasts and YouTube and making Endless. music on top of that. Endless. There's a thousand things an independent artist has to keep track of. But if you can integrate the NFT with an experience that you're currently offering, instead of using Patreon, switch and use an NFT access only Discord. Cool. Um, then somebody can sell their key to your Discord if they get tired of being your patron. On Patreon, they just cancel their subscription. If you go through something like Vault, which is built on Solana, you have a gated NFT sort of documentary feed where you can post um, images and videos and songs and work tapes and ideas. And somebody buys an NFT, 
which is a key to your vault. Mm. If they decide they don't want to access it anymore, they can sell it. And hopefully you've done well as an artist and they can make a profit off. Sure. So imagine, you know, imagine uh, Kendrick Kendrick Lamar's very first mixtape and uh, he made uh, a vault of it and there were a hundred keys and every song he dropped from that mixtape, he posted about it in, in his vault and he posted the audio track. He posted the early demos, the work tapes, uh, things where he screwed up, outtakes, ad libs. Uh, everything you want to know about his, his initial foray into being an artist is on there. Sure. And then a decade goes by and you don't talk about it, but you've still got that key. And Kendrick Lamar blows up and you have one of 100 keys to access every single solitary detail you could possibly want to know about his very first release. Mm. How much do you think that thing is going to be worth? Right. And how many super fans are going to pay you a lot of money for this vault key that you bought for 30 bucks? Now you can sell it for $300,000 to somebody, to some doctor in Sheboygan, who is the biggest (laughs) Kendrick Lamar fan you've ever met in your life. And he has to have that key. He has to have access to that mixtape. Yeah. That like, that's what's possible with NFTs. If you did it through Patreon, it lives on forever on Patreon. Uh, and you know, if somebody wants to get out of it, they just turn it off and somebody else can buy it for 30 bucks too. But you were early and that doesn't feel very fair. Yeah. With yeah. Vault, you get paid for being early to somebody that you like. So interesting. Like shame, you know, shameless plug. I created a vault. Uh, i connected with the vault team they're super cool and i made a thousand keys i'm in the process of releasing my very first album ever as an artist and i'm posting all the stuff from this album in that vault and when the album is done i'm going to stop posting to the vault and it's going to live as a body of work as a time capsule in history and when those keys sell out nobody is going to be able to get into this time capsule 10 years from now unless somebody who has a key sells it to them. Right. And I think that's pretty cool, powerful thing. Interesting. So I didn't even know that there were discords that had a key to get into the discord. Is that a thing? Or this is more specific to this platform that you're noting? This, so this is a, there are a few ways you can do it. One is uh, like on vault, you can just drop a discord link in there that you don't share anywhere else. You can do the same thing on Fanfare. So you can put this Discord link in, in your NFTs on Fanfare as hidden content. Uh, you can put merch discount codes in there. But then there are also uh, solutions, you know, products, uh, software that's being developed where it reads your wallet. You connect, say we're on Solana. I connect my Phantom wallet to um, this uh, platform and it reads the address of uh, the contract address of every NFT in my wallet. and then. Right. It, tells discord whether or not i can get in right so there's one on um ethereum that's called uh the name escapes me right now collab land there's one on ethereum called collab land i think it's collab.land sure um and so you have an ethereum nft and you connect to collab land and collab land has a discord bot that will only let you in if you have an nft that matches the contract address that the discord server owner has stipulated So you can have a completely gated community. You can't even get into the Discord unless you're holding that NFT in your wallet. It's the same thing that kind of like what Board Ape Yacht Club has done. They have a merch section on their site. You have to log into their site with a MetaMask wallet. And if you don't have a Board Ape, you cannot order merch from them. So anybody you see walking around with a Board Ape hoodie, 
has bags. That's so <laughs> dope. They have bags. That's so dope. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Interesting. And so that's operating through these platforms that aren't just the, it's not Discord itself that's come out with these programs. It is right. All programs right. utilizing Discord through right. linking to a wallet to allow that access to the Discord. Right. But because that's what I was going to ask you is why, why couldn't you with some of these communities just share the link if you wanted to without having that key? But that's where it comes in is yeah. if you are uh, utilizing these, you know, that vault or collab land, depending mm-hmm. on what uh, blockchain you want to live in, that's yeah. what's utilizing it. So that if I own this NFT, that's where I hold my value in terms of this gated, a true gated community yeah. and a true interaction for that. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of time before we see one platform to rule them all, right? Pushes glasses up nose. Um, that will, it will, it will be Discord on the blockchain, but it will be a multi-chain Discord solution built on the blockchain. And so whether you hold an Ethereum NFT, a Polygon NFT, Solana NFT, or whatever else, it will be a connection point where you can log in only using the NFT that the community owner has stipulated. Right. And I think it's just a matter of time before probably Shopify um, integrates NFT gated access as well to their stores. I mean, right now you can kind of, they're already playing with NFTs. They're already working on listing NFTs for sale. But I think just like you have, you know, gated community access access on something like, you know, if you have a, a WordPress website and it's a member's website, you can have gated access to certain content. I right. think Discord's, I think, uh, excuse me, Shopify is probably going to end up doing that kind of thing with NFTs for certain products on your site. Um, but right now, what I do is I have a product on Shopify that is not listed on my store. It is only listed as a buy now button, if you're familiar with Shopify. And I share the buy now link in the gated content of my NFT. Mm, so the cool. only way you get to that is you click that link and it takes you directly to checkout. So you can share that link with somebody if you want to, but why would you do that when you've already paid to access it? Right. It doesn't benefit you where you've paid the money to add value to something and then you're sharing something to devalue it. It's the same reason of why the blockchain has any value in crypto in general is that user interface and interaction basically. Exactly. Great. So to sum all of this up for people, first of all, I did an episode on the podcast for what an NFT is. Tom has a wonderful explanation on his YouTube channel of one for people that just got slapped with NFT. <laughs> First of all, yeah. sorry, but this is not your episode because this was definitely a deep dive one. Go back, yeah. digest some stuff, and then come back to us because even me, yeah. where I have jumped in, I just felt mm-hmm. like a small slap. Like I didn't fall down from it. But I'm like, <laughs> a little like, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. I got to go read more, you know, because yeah. he's, di- he's dived down further. So to recap it, I guess, as an indie artist right now, February 22, you know, you talked mm-hmm. about coming out with like a con- uh, some, some small valued uh, multiples of something. So maybe I create, um, you know, maybe it's not my album artwork, but it's like little images that would create my album artwork or something. And now there's, there's multiple of them, but the smaller value. So it's five bucks for me to buy it. I own that NFT. uh, And then I'm, I'm just taking ownership in in the fact that this could be a collectible. It could hold value, but I'm also buying something from this artist. Then doing some things that are of higher value, maybe an auctionable thing, depending on right. what your uh, you know, fan base is at right now and mm-hmm. something that is also more of an intense, more of an effort from you in that actual creation of that NFT. Both right. of those, are you still 
um, feeling out OpenSea for those sales or are you on different platforms for that? So I've kind of taken a step back from OpenSea mostly because... um, Busy. It's very busy, but um, they don't give you the option to properly categorize your NFTs as music currently. There's a little drop down when you're making your NFT. This is like such a specific issue, but when you're making your NFT on on OpenSea, you can select like art, collectible, and a couple of other things, but you can't select music, even mm. though music is a category, a main category on their site. So right. it's a functionality issue that I think is lacking. And until they get that fixed, I don't think it's the best place to go for music. Yeah. I think if you want to make music NFTs specifically, then it is smart right now to go to a music NFT platform because that's sure. where the music NFT collectors are. So fanfare as I said, is a great one. Mint Songs is a great one. Uh, you mentioned Sound.xyz. Sound.xyz is great, but it's gated access. You've got to apply. But go apply, because what do you have to lose? Right. The other one is called Catalog, catalog.works. Uh, again, there's an application process, but uh, it's a good place to go apply. I uh, see sure. somebody in uh, here. Oh, Mitch, what's up, dude? Um, uh, Mitch asked thoughts on Foundation. I think Foundation is great. But foundation, you have to get worked up the ladder before you can start actually creating NFTs on there, which is frustrating. I've been on the waiting list there for like a year (laughs) and still can't actually mint NFTs on the platform. I can buy them, but I can't mint them. So that's a little frustrating. So I think it is a good idea to just go ahead and apply for the places where you want to do that Um, with the the knowledge that it's probably going to take a while before you get approved. But places like um, Fanfare, and Mint Songs and Vault, uh, all of them allow you to just hop on and get started making NFTs. And I prefer that way because I'm not a gatekeeper guy. I'm, I don't like gatekeepers in any form or fashion. Yeah. I do understand why some of these platforms are doing that. I get it. Uh, I'm not mad at them for it. But I think that, um, as it was said to me recently, you know, a platform succeeds when it has winners on it. So the more winners that fanfare has on it or the more winners that Mint songs has on the platform, the more they're going to tell their friends and the more right. their friends are going to want to go be winners on the platform too. So right. if you just get one artist who sells every NFT they make on one of these platforms and says, dude, you, you gotta go to fanfare. I sold every NFT I put on there. That's you where you can get Mint my songs. stuff. Right. I, that's exactly right. I saw, I've sold every NFT I've put on there. So A, you music collector, you want to pay attention to me because I'm selling every single one and I'm putting them on Fanfare. You music creator, you want to be on Fanfare because there's obvious results that I'm selling everything I'm putting on there. Right. Don't you want to try to do the same? So if I win, more people will win and vice versa. So that's why I like the open platform model better the cream will ultimately rise to the top through the noise. I mean, right. You look at OpenSea, there are God millions of projects on OpenSea, but board apes are on OpenSea. CryptoPunks are on OpenSea. Doodles yeah. are on OpenSea. Right. These very, very successful projects are on there as well. So the cream does rise to the top. Right. Right. And so basically the vault or the fanfare piece of that is just where it's been more music friendly right now, more of right. an option to form this gated community and really utilize it 
as right. a tool. And then I guess last thing before, because we, we're going to definitely do a long episode because there are things that I want to do justice for you on mm-hmm. things that are awesome about you that I haven't even gotten to share because of all of this stuff. But <laughs> yeah. um, I just thought this is, this is information. This is the void to me right now, at least in terms of what I'm seeing locally. And yeah, I, like literally I, last episode, once again, was an artist manager who's working with large artists. They're mm-hmm. getting bombarded with emails like, I want NFTs, I want NFTs. They have no idea what, you know what I mean? They don't know yet how that comes to play yet. And a lot of people don't. So everyone that I get to grab. So last thing I'd ask is, is there any favorability that you've gotten so far in terms of which blockchain? Because I know that we've talked about ETH and Solana in terms of a couple of these and and probably even more in terms of, I know Polkadot, I've seen some of your video content on where you're talking Mm -hmm. about how it's almost a little too open in some, in some ways. I don't know if that's age at all, but is there any preference that you have for what blockchain? Because I know even that is you could create this NFT. Mm-hmm. It could be on a blockchain that maybe that yeah. blockchain isn't as successful as other ones could devalue the NFT later. Yeah. So one thing I'll say is, as with most of my content, um, if you're kind of afraid of which one to test, come to my channel. I'm going to test all of them. I'm going to have a lot of NFTs out in the, in the ether uh, that probably aren't going to sell. Uh, just so I can try to determine which ones are the best. Yeah, uh, I believe the best tactic is to pick a few platforms or pick one or two blockchains to sort of exist on and not spread yourself too thin. You spread yourself too thin, you start to devalue everything for everybody. 100%, right? yeah. Let me, let me be that guy for you. Um, cause I'm going to do that. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, do. Uh, I don't want I don't necessarily want to do it, but in service of what my channel is about, I think it's important that I be the one to do that. So, um, but having said that, I think that as a, as a, as an independent artist on a budget, Ethereum is kind of off limits because it's so expensive to transact on there. Right. Uh, I struggle with Ethereum. It's why so many other layer one blockchains have taken off recently and some layer twos, um, which I'll get to. But the upside of Ethereum is it's where all the whales play. So sound.xyz and catalog works, they're both on Ethereum. If you get accepted to sound XYZ and you put a limited edition NFT on there, you're probably going to make thousands of dollars because that's where the collectors with bags hang out. Right. So that's why you want to apply to these places. But that's where the collectors hang out right now. Mm. Eventually, these ecosystems and other blockchains are going to continue to grow. So a layer two of Ethereum is Polygon. Now, Polygon has the upside of having zero fees to mint anything, but it also has the downside of having zero fees to mint anything, which means... People can spam the hell out of it, which sucks. It it's kind of ruins it for everybody. Right. But it is accessible as an artist. And it is also accessible as a buyer if you want to support somebody's work for five bucks and you don't want to pay 50 bucks in gas fees. Right. So for that reason, I like I like Polygon a lot. Plus, it is in the Ethereum ecosystem. If you can program a smart contract on Polygon or on Ethereum, you can program a smart contract on Polygon. Sure. And if ETH2 rolls out as they say it will, then Polygon becomes a lot more valuable uh, as uh, I believe it's a roll-up of uh, Ethereum. So Polygon is worth looking at. Mint Songs is on Polygon. Sure. The other one that I really like a lot is Solana. 
Solana is the layer one that's sort of really kind of taken charge and uh, face of the high gas fees for Ethereum over the past six months. Right. But Solana is kind of lacking in music specific uh, platforms yet. There's one called Nina Market, which is kind of similar to Sound XYZ. Um, and then there is um, there's Vault, which I've spoken about. There's also right. platforms like Holoplex, which allow you to create your own store, but it's not a dedicated music NFT space. But I do think Solana is one that is worth paying attention to because I think it's just a short matter of time before somebody builds something really musically important on that blockchain because it's fast and it's cheap. And it has sort of like a cool new kid on the block thing to it that is attractive. Right. Um, then Fanfare is built on top of Flow. Uh, Flow is a very fast, uh, very scalable blockchain, and you can buy stuff with fiat. It's where NBA Top Shots uh, was put on, uh, which is hugely successful. Yeah. Um, so that's another good one. Uh, that's kind of where I have ventured so far. I'm, there's a couple other platforms I'm kind of looking at right now. Um, there's one called Emanate. It's E-M-A-N-A-T-E dot live, I believe is the address, Emanate dot live. And it is um, built on EOS, E-O-S. Um, and it is uh, sort of like Audius, uh, a music streaming platform. Yeah. Probably. But it's also, a distrib- it's also a distribution service, which is very interesting. So you can upload your song to Emanate to be played on the blockchain and they pay you every six seconds of listen time mm. instead of per stream. But then you can also distribute to web two outlets like Spotify and Apple music all from one platform. So that's a platform I'm kind of playing around with right now. Emanate. See, yeah. See how that goes, but there yeah. isn't to my knowledge, there's not an NFT marketplace yet. So I think the, per, the, the platform that wins is the one that allows you to distribute to Spotify stream on platform and buy your song as an NFT. When that right. happens, that's oh, going to be dude. a game changer. Yeah, and then Spotify will have to react to that, or they're going to try to. They're going to, if they were smart, they'll try to create it before anyone else does and find some way that yeah. makes sense. But I um, think the one thing that that Spotify, their blessing and their curse, is that they are very beholden to Warner Brothers and Atlantic and the like. The reason Spotify became the dominant player in music streaming is because they were the ones who managed to strike up deals when streaming was not cool. And they got catalogs from every major artist on there. Right. But it's also the part that holds them back because those labels, they have a corner on the market for finances and music. They don't necessarily want to have somebody eating into that nest egg. So yeah. they might say no if Spotify wants to make moves. You know, when you become a big publicly traded company, it's it's Sluggish. a lot harder to turn that ship. It takes yeah. a lot more time. When you're small, you're light, you're nimble. And so that's, you know, Spotify is the 400-pound gorilla in the room, but they're slow because of that. David versus time. Goliath, right? That's exactly right. So we'll see. Yeah. Interesting, man. Okay. So you've given us a lot to uh, approach, but it sounds like the real thing, because we're still in such a fresh world, is that there is no perfect place to sell your music as an NFT. You have to just be dabbling and then making bets on what's yeah. going to win and then keep adapting that as your fan base changes yeah. and, and obviously try to give it uh, a way that your fan base is going to get value from your creation of yeah. it, as well as uh, a way to give it longevity in the future. One, one thought that I have had because I've thought about this very thing too. 
Um, where do I make my NFTs? How do I choose the right blockchain? One thought that I've had is that once this plays out in a few years and we're able to see which one kind of is the music blockchain winner, right? The music platform winner. Yeah. Um, I'll take every NFT that I've made on every other platform and I will blast out all over the internet. And I'll say, if you've ever bought an NFT from me, come and join this telegram group or come and join this discord group. It's free to enter. It's not gated, anything like that. If you've bought an NFT from me inside of this group, I want you to send me your wallet address that holds the NFT that I sold to you. Yeah. And then I want you to send me your wallet address for let's say Solana is the one that wins. I want you to send, send me your Solana wallet address and I'm going to send you a limited edition NFT that is your all access pass that serves as the representation of the NFT you bought on Ethereum mm. or on Polygon or on Flow because now I'm building my network on Solana and I'm only dedicated my dedicating everything I do to Solana you're on out. Yeah. So if you bought an NFT anywhere else, this is your Solana representation of that purchase. And now you have access to everything as if you had bought that NFT on Solana originally. And right, because it's me, not their that fault. Feels like, right, exactly. And to me, that feels like a way to sort of like patch the Band-Aid, I guess, at the end of the day, once yeah. sort of like the dust settles. Looks like yeah. uh, your live went down on Instagram, by the way. I saw that. I have no idea why <laughs> Instagram literally logged me out of Instagram. Nice. Solid. I have no idea why. And I feel this like this guy's making point, too much content. <laughs> this guy is, is allowing people to see him. So I should not yeah. allow this. Yeah. So I, I, I feel unfortunate because there were like four or five people watching, but I, yeah. I feel like we'd leave it now. We're yeah. so through, but yeah. Um, Yes. Cool, man. Well, thank you for letting me pick that topic dry on you because Dude, that's something where I feel like people are looking for it. And then I don't know, I don't know how if you much can tell, but I can talk about this all night. <laughs> I can too. That's why it's yeah, a problem. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, how much we're at uh, 13. I have six questions that I ask everyone at the end that I, I want to hit that don't take too long. Okay. How much more time do you have? And I don't really want to go crazy longer than this, but also like, I feel like there's a few topics that yeah, we didn't even touch unless you just want this episode yeah. to be geared that way. I'd like your take on it, man. Let's, um, how long are your episodes normally? An hour? Usually an hour, but I do have okay. some that are an hour and a half, but okay. I, I just go. feel bad. Cause like we, I knew that I needed, I needed to hit that with you because you yeah. are exploring it so much and people are asking it. Yeah. But also like you have things to break down that are so valuable as a guest, just straight up. It has nothing to do with sure. this at all. You know, let's, let's go till let's go 15 more minutes, go to an hour and a half. Totally cool. cool. Um, and you know, let the people speak if they want a part two down the line, Yeah, the burning questions, you know, they'll, they'll let us know. Cool. I dig it. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you for the time. Yeah, yeah of course. All right. So we have talked about your history of going through the different parts of the music industry and ultimately landing here. We have talked about NFTs and we have talked about content, authenticity, the music industry speed, tech, and its integration into it. We've talked about so much right now. And I guess like, I just want to give you a key, a quick, um, you know, recap of love of like, 
in your wording on your bio, and I feel this from our conversation in person and also from all of your content, you fundamentally believe in the future of music entrepreneurship in the creator economy. I do. I feel that we've, we've talked on that, but I guess like, I also feel this crazy optimism for creator economy in the future. And I also feel this belief of how positive a time that we live in and how positive it will be. What exactly gives that for you? Why do you feel that way for the, for this creator economy of the future, I yeah. guess real quick. And then there's some things I want to pick at you specific to your sure. career. Yeah. I'll try to keep my, my answer less long winded. <laughs> um, I, uh, for like many musicians, I'm sure you probably felt this way too. Being struck with the music addiction has sometimes felt like um, a negative in my life. Mm. It's, a, it's a thing I haven't been able to turn off. Why am I so passionate about this? I could make a lot more money and be a lot more comfortable doing yes. a lot of other things. Yes. Why am I stuck in this? But I can't turn it off. I've tried to quit and it didn't work. I yeah. just can't not do this. Um, and now um, I, I recognize how much that fire was preparing me for, I believe, what is this moment or the very next moment in history. I think software is eating the world. I think more and more things are becoming automated. More and more things are becoming ridiculously accessible. I run a business from a guest bedroom in the basement of my house from a laptop and a cell phone. If you had told me that 20 years ago, I thought you're crazy. Yeah. There are people who run multi-million dollar empires just from their phone alone. The things that take a lot of technical know-how continue to be built in such a way that the dumbest person can use them. The iPhone yeah. is so intuitive. Yeah. Um, which means the jobs that are going to be left that really matter as software continues to eat the world are going to be creative jobs. Mm. They're going to be jobs that require specific knowledge, specific uh, history spent grinding out, getting good at making beats or perfecting yeah. your painting or being a vocalist. Imagination becomes a skill that is marketable as a job now rather than simply coding. I think if you can combine creativity with coding, you have an atom bomb of opportunity on your hands. Yeah. And so I, I believe that uh, the future becomes more and more. Uh, solopreneur driven. Mm, I think the single entrepreneur, you know, we all, the internet loves to feed us these grand imaginations of like, you got to make $5 million a year. You really don't. If you can make $100,000 a year and live on $90,000 a year, you are a king. If you make 50 and live on 40, you're a king. If you just live on less than you make and you can spend your time doing what you want to do and make enough, then the world is yours. And so yeah, I think yeah. we, are, we are staring down the barrel of people being able to have fifty, seventy five hundred thousand dollars $100,000 businesses from their cell phone doing creative work because everything yeah. else is so easy. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe it. And I'm so interested to see with the speed of some things, but also with how it integrates. I'm so interested to see when some of these things take place in our time, but they are happening right now. And uh, I said all the time, man, on here when people are saying like, it's always such a big question of like, how could I ever do that thing? And you're like, 
well, if you don't have to make any money, then you can do anything. Right. It's really simple, actually. It sounds sounds awful to say that to someone because it's like it's obviously yeah. way more complicated than that. But it's like if you have a way to yeah. like kill the shit out of your overhead, mm-hmm. if you want to tour all the time, but people don't like your band, you can go tour all the time if you have like no overhead. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's you kind can of go, become a musical ascetic, you know, you know, a, tra- and then, a traveling and then, Buddhist. <laughs> then you do that. And then guess what? You're probably going to be popular because you're just all over the place and you're constantly yeah. at it. Unless you're just doing things that are not good. Then it's like, you're yeah. going to, like we talked earlier, you're going to be around. And, and so that's yeah. so exciting for me for an easier accessible way to make the income yeah. to attack the overhead, to make it so that it's just a way that it's sustainable art. I also feel that way. So it's, it's one of the reasons I've, I've, found myself becoming so much more passionate about marketing and music marketing specifically. And it's probably why my channel has grown around that because I'm excited about it. But I think of it as, so the same way I've talked about NFTs for so long on this episode, I think about um, traditional just music marketing with like Facebook ads and Instagram ads and TikTok ads, YouTube ads. These are ways to create little machines, little digital machines that print money for you essentially. Mm. And so all you have to do is take Facebook ads and construct your ad campaign in such a way that you drop ship, let's say a hoodie says Tom Dupree, the third on it. Yeah. If I can make that little machine work where I just make one penny more on selling hoodies every month than I spend on ads. Now I can just push that button down super hard. Right. And I can sell a thousand hoodies. And I can sell 10,000 hoodies because right. it's profitable. And it's a little machine that works while I sleep. This is leverage and scale at work. And this is why, you know, you know, this is music as a product at work. You know, streaming royalties are such that you have to get a lot of streams. But effectively, I'm making money right now off of Spotify while I'm sitting here talking to you. Right. It's not much, but I am making money. And so it's just matters of scale. And that's why I think music marketing and marketing in general for artists is such an important aspect. Getting those Spotify streams is important, but also figuring out your merch, figuring out value propositions for your audience, whether it's in my case, teaching what I know via online courses. Uh, I have, you know, all every YouTube video that's out there is, is making money for me right now. Again, it's not a whole lot, but it's making money. And it's right. also driving traffic to things that do make me money in the form of consultations for people who need help and the agency that I run ads for people. It's yep. out there doing work for me right now while I'm sitting here talking to you. Right. So if you can automate enough money to clear your overhead, then you can spend all your time doing the thing you want to do. 100%. I love it. Yeah, it's like, I feel like a lot of these principles are like, I feel like I keep having epiphanies where like I'm not, a rich person by any means, but I have been able to continue to throw more money into my creative over time than I ever have before. And I keep hitting these moments where I'm like, I will realize something that works. And I'm like, this is what fucking rich people have always done. Yes. Always. Always done this shit. And I just didn't know it because no one around me was doing it. And so I just didn't know that this even existed or I hadn't, hidden educational source yet. And this is part of that like hiding of like how it works things and the transparency Mm -hmm. that we talked about for your content earlier of it is like these, there are little things of like diversified income streams, 
reducing yeah. reducing overhead costs so that people are like impenetrable even when the economy changes the world changes they've yes. killed overhead things that are your money working for your own money things that are uh you know like getting, ads getting and out marketing, of debt you know getting, getting out, out of debt, debt. like huge yeah yeah yeah. And these are the things that rich people have always done. Mm-hmm. And people uh, also like it, it's given me a lot of empathy for rich people, just in the sense, not if they're rich people doing bad things, then that's just sure. using your power for the wrong thing. But it always when I learn it and I say, this is what they've always done. You get a lot less mad at someone when they have like a nice car or a nice house or their third house mm-hmm. or something like that, as long as they're not doing bad things with their money, because you're like, this is how it happens, because they just mm-hmm. keep investing in different asset classes or different ways to run their life in, in, in some way that is continually making it less friction to do the next thing. And that's why also when you're right. at the top, you can just do that anything power because they just, you can just press the marketing button, that's it. press the whatever yeah. button just yeah. over and over and over again. And literally it just makes things appear, you know? What wealthy people spend, you know, those that inherit it are not, in this different category. story but the wealthy yeah. people who build something they spend 20 years eating glass mm. and making nothing yes. and building systems of little machines that make money for them yes and they become the type of people who make money they mm. don't they don't make money they become the type of people who make money yeah who make things that make money for them and and then one day 20 years later they have one year where they make more money in that year than they've made in the last 20 years combined. Yeah. But they eat glass for 19 years. Love that. And so anytime I see somebody who does that, I admire that person because I know what went into that. I know how hard that was. And I also, there's another side of it. Usually that person is in their fifties or sixties. And I recognize how wealthy I am because I'm in my thirties. And how much do you think that guy at 65 would give to trade places with me? Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's also part of like the, you can live off of 30, 40, 70,000. If mm-hmm. you have things that are generating income, you're being smart with your money and you've killed your overhead yeah. or killed debt. You can yep. live like you make $5 million a year. If you have mm-hmm. it so that you can do what you want to do, you're not pressured by anything. You make decisions you want to yeah. do. I think that's the dream, man. And I think that it's it more is. achievable than ever right now. The dream, the dream is to automate your income, disconnect your inputs from your outputs so that you have leveraged income. Mm. If I, you know, inputs and outputs are, if I go to work for a job, I make $10 an hour. My, that's a direct correlation, uh, inputs and outputs. But if right. I can leverage that to where an hour of work now makes me 20 bucks an hour, but I'm only doing 10 hours, $10 worth of labor, then it's just scaling up. You disconnect your inputs from your outputs, you leverage your income, automate as much of it as you can make it as asynchronous as you can yep and live on less than you make (laughs) like that is such a big one don't care what anybody else thinks or does like live in the neighborhood that's maybe one or two down from what you think you can afford buy the house in cash i know people (laughs) there's a thousand people on the internet tell me not to do that if you can buy your house in cash i mean buy that shit buy it in cash not having a mortgage payment is an incredible thing Yeah. I bet you money you will like not having a mortgage payment or rent. Yeah. I'm building an, I literally bought a farmhouse, split it into a duplex and I'm making an Airbnb in my own house just so so that I don't have to do that. 
And, so I, and smart. do I want people on the property? No, I'd love to just be left no. alone. Maybe someday I won't have to, but right now yeah. I would rather do that and literally just be able to, I feel bad saying it cause I, I really am a positive person, but it's like, I want to yeah. hold as many middle fingers up to people in the world, not people mm-hmm. that are good people, but it's just like, I don't want right. people telling me what I'm doing when I open my eyes mm-hmm. and I wake mm-hmm. up and I am expected to do something for someone else. Yes. I think all of us are just chasing their ability to just wake up and you literally just get to think about what is going to happen in my life. And I feel yeah. like all of us are trying to do that. And that's what that's I'm fighting dream. hard to do is just, I want to yeah. wake up and just wake up because I'm alive, not because something is expected yeah. for me to go to and exactly. say, so yeah. Free man. of obligations that you don't want. Yep. Love it. Yeah. Um, do you have, so I think we're hitting our spot right now. Okay. Are you cool with uh, hitting my six questions stand out? Yeah. And then I, I honestly, um, I feel like we'll have yeah. to do this again sometime because I just yeah. got a lot to talk to you about. <laughs> You'll have more by then and then yeah. we won't make it in an episode again and we'll be screwed. So just keep, keep riding. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. All right. So six questions. You don't have to uh, do crazy in depth mm-hmm. on these ones, but sometimes it's okay. tough. But sure. first question is, is pointed, but we usually get from the episode of hearing on you is why do you wake up and do what you do every day versus any other thing that you could do? Um, I can't really imagine doing anything else. And also I feel that I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do every single day. Mm. Um, I am, I am passionate about building things. I'm passionate about helping other people. I'm also passionate about making money so I can provide for my family. Sure. And what I do allows me to do all three of those things. Incredible. And, and that to me is freedom. What else do you want? Right. Can't ask for much. Grateful. <laughs> That's awesome. What would be along the way, say, you know, we have mistakes, but we learn from mistakes and it's usually a good thing, especially the people on the show who are, are super positive or they're uh, yeah. in that mindset. But say you could say something to five years ago, 10 years ago, you like, hey, don't do this thing. Would there be anything that you were like, if you could learn this lesson, and not do it, that kind of sucked. I would tell myself, stop avoiding, stop trying to actively avoid leadership positions even though Mm. you're very obviously called into them repeatedly. Interesting. Um, I, I developed, um, at multiple instances in my life, um, I developed frenemies from people who I thought were friends, but when the rubber would meet the road, it still, it always happens. This has kind of been my lot in life. When the rubber meets the road or, something happens in the room, people look at me. I don't know why. It's just it kind of always been that way. Um, and for a long time, I tried to avoid it. I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want people to think that I wanted to be that guy. Yeah. I just wanted to be an anonymous blender inner. And as it continued to happen, I finally embraced it. And it's not, I don't, I don't consider myself a boss. I don't consider myself someone who strives for leadership. But I finally have embraced the fact that, you know what, if somebody asked me to answer the call, I'm answering the call. Mm. And when I was in my early 20s, I was more concerned with being liked than I was with answering the call. Mm. So I would tell myself, 
answer the call. Interesting. I think that that probably comes from a lot of humility, Tom. And um, that's very difficult to, I mean, I still think that it comes across as um, imposter syndrome or something for me, but I think it's oftentimes the same thing as well, where I have a lot of audacity. I'm very blunt and I am not afraid to like immediately call some shit out or try to do something and get totally screwed from it. Like the risk I'm, I'm, I'm capable of it. And so that naturally will call me in situations where like, I'll be the first one to give it a whirl. I'll try to figure out what's going on. If it's a problem, I'll just, I'll be like, I've got to figure it out or whatever. Right. But then many times I'm like, I don't want to, I don't feel like I am better than anyone. And I don't feel that I have the right to tell anyone something different because everyone has different experiences and things that bring their value to the world. So it's like, yeah, I think that that probably comes from a lot of humility, but then recognizing that your value that you have to give is more important to hit the call than it is for you to feel that difference in immunity. That's obviously extreme self-awareness that you've developed to be able to do that. But that's huge, man. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can give myself that advice now, but if I had had that advice and taken it, then I wouldn't be here to give it. Right. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> have to have those experiences. hundred percent flip side. What is the best thing that you've done along the way or like an aha moment that like changed trajectory massively for you? Moving, moving to Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, sure. really? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in Georgia. I went to school in Atlanta. I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, right after college because I mm. loved Incubus and <laughs> wanted to live on the beach. Did not oh, yeah. live on the beach. <laughs> lived in Hollywood, uh, um, <laughs> which was just a cesspool. Um, sorry, anybody who lives in Hollywood. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> it's pretty Oh, dark. no. Uh, it's broken dreams. Um, oh. But I lived in Hollywood for a year and a half. And um, when, one night I was driving down the 101 freeway on the way home from band practice. And... Uh, I, uh, I believe in God. And I just said, God, what do I do? I'm miserable here. I don't know what to do. Tell me Mm. what to do. Mm. And I heard a voice audible to me say, I already have. And Mm. I, and I had been thinking about Nashville a lot, but was too afraid to recognize it. And I knew in that moment I needed to move to Nashville. So I went home within the week. I told my roommate, I was canceling my portion of the lease. I was moving out. I was breaking our lease packed up all my stuff. I moved to Nashville. I put a video of me playing the drums on YouTube uh, and then put it on Craigslist. Within a month, I joined a band. And within the within six, no, within eight months after that, we had a record deal with Universal Republic. Jesus, dude. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> wow, and then I met, I met my wife in Nashville. Uh, my kids were born in Nashville. I mean, everything I have now is because I answered that call in the car. That was supposed to happen. You're supposed to be doing this. This is supposed to be. Yeah. Dang. (laughs) Cool. That was awesome. What would be uh, like from the outside or inside, I guess, but what would be, what would uh, people say is your superpower? Tom is Tom Dupree the third. Oh, that's a good question. That's a new one. Used to be That's five a, questions. That's a new one I added on dude. there. That's a good question. <laughs> uh, I think 
I think other people would say my superpower is uh, my ability to keep my head about me when everyone else is losing theirs mm. until the problem is solved. Sure. I'm, I'm the guy who can remain cool under pressure until it's time to let loose. And then when every, when I know everybody else is okay, then I can have my moment. Right. Yeah. I I've told the story on the podcast a lot, but it's like when there's like a car crash or like, I, like there was a time where I literally, I, I pretty much all, I almost died whitewater rafting. There's been like multiple times where it's like, it's going down all the way. I'm pretty damn calm. I, I can be like, I'm, I'm literally crashing my car and like, I'm not screaming. I'm literally just like, all right, how am I going to not die right now? But I'm, I'm pretty damn chill trying to figure it out. Cause I just want to solve the problem, dude. And that's all yep. I'm focused on. I have nothing else that I could, I'm like, Nothing it matters just, if I don't solve the problem. So all does I this happen to you? It this. just like, I mean, it just laser visions in for me. It's like a black tunnel where the only thing I see is the thing that needs to get fixed. Especially yeah. when it's like you're talking about like car accidents and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm the guy who cars are going around. I pull up to the car and get out and go and make sure everybody's okay. Like I've done that multiple times in my life. Yeah. You know, and it's just like that's all I can see. Uh, a fight breaks out at a concert. I run into the middle of it to try to break it up so they don't hurt anybody. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, but that's the only thing I see, uh, and it's weird. But it's just—I guess we all respond differently. There's, there are plenty. I don't want to make it out like I'm some Rambo. There are plenty of other things where I'll run the other direction for sure. Oh yeah, but absolutely. <laughs> but like, but there are things like that uh, where I will run to it, and I can't explain it. Yeah, that's awesome, man what would be a resource that you you could recommend to the audience? We've got a mixed crew of, of creatives. Uh, I know that they all found value through conversation that we've had past anything in music. You can say anything in terms of music, music industry, or it can be broader than that. We do mindset, anything like that. What's like a resource or some resources that have been um, like really valuable for you that you think are worth checking out for people? This is a good one. And I'm so excited to share my answer. Nice. Um, I pay almost zero attention to anybody who is um, music business oriented. Hmm. Uh, the only, really only person's videos I watch is our Andrew Southworth's. Um, and he's it. I don't really pay much attention to anybody else. I kind of keep my blinders on. Sure. I pay attention to entrepreneurs and investors and tech people for the most part. Um, the resource that I would recommend above all else to everybody is a guy named Naval Ravikant and he's on Twitter mm. at, at Naval, N-A-V-A-L, like Naval. Yeah. Um, go to his profile on Twitter at Naval and his pinned tweet at the very top is called how to get rich without getting lucky. Read that tweet storm. After you read that tweet storm, it's about 40 tweets. Go pick up a book called The Almanac of Naval Ravikant and mm. by a guy named Eric Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-S-O-N, I think, uh, or E-N. I think it's O-N. Um, sorry, Eric, if I got it wrong. Um, after you've read the tweet storm, read that book. And I challenge you to tell me it doesn't change your life. Wow. We've for never me, had that on the podcast before as a resource. But I've me, heard Naval Ravikant. Yeah. 
before from other entrepreneurs' mouths? Yeah, for me, it um, it reframed. He didn't tell me anything in there that I didn't already kind of know. Hmm. A lot of it we've talked about on this episode. Yeah. But he frames it in such a way that it clicked. You know, like those puzzle rings you get from like the Renaissance Fair. Where you twist them <laughs> and they just fall into place and it's one ring. Yeah. That. It was like I was holding the puzzle ring and I understood how it worked. But the way Naval frames it made it all click into place. And I, it completely changed the lens through which I view so many of the things that I do. Yeah. So if you are interested at all in decoupling your inputs from your outputs, earning income that's leveraged, building a life of freedom based off of financial stability, those kinds of things. Yeah. That tweet storm and that book are, are where you want to be. Mm. That's awesome, man. I am going to check that out. And I've had like several of those moments where it's like when I was not thinking about any money or business right at all, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know people yeah. talk about a lot. That yeah. made me be like, this is the right way or the different ways that people look at money. And these are the things that I'm doing wrong. And this is how I'm going to do it now. And that changed things. And I got out of yeah. a lot of debts, not everything, but I got out yeah. of a lot of bad debts and I started handling money correctly. And then I read yeah. four hour work week and that oh, changed my I mindset of being one. like, yeah. I am not meant to work what I've been doing. And mm -hmm. also this is the way that I want to live in terms of freedom or in terms of the way that I look at my own time on this world. And that changed the way that I look at things incrementally. I feel mm -hmm. like this resource right here is something that could do that for me again. Yeah. I right now. Will. So that's exciting it, to give that resource. You mentioning those two books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and uh, Four Hour Work Week, tells me that you will love that book, The Ball, mm. The Almanac and the Ball. Because yeah. I've read. I haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I've read Four Hour Work Week multiple times and it spoke to me. Big yeah. Time. Yeah. It's very simple. Both books are very simple. And yeah. like Rich Dad, Poor Dad is basically just like literally a rich dad that he spends time with and a poor dad and just looking at the way that they view money and what, yeah. what am I doing with decisions with my money? And that yeah. just changes perspective of like how I'm going to treat getting shit done or, or like, or like mm -hmm. allowing things to go bad, I guess, you know, it just changes things. But it's like you were yeah. saying where it's like, you know, the answer, you know, not to spend money like that, you know, not, you mm -hmm. should be investing or whatever, but it's like, they put things in a framework that makes now sense of how it actually is happening yeah. all around you. And you just didn't see it. You know, it was right. written there on the wall and it was in a mm -hmm. language that you didn't know. And it's right. like, swishes that out and rewrites it and it's like this is this is it and you're like oh yep i had no idea that the guy next to me that we didn't have the conversation but now yeah. i can pick up on the signs of like this person's been doing that for fucking 50 years and i had no idea <laughs> yeah right yeah it's like this is a deep cut reference but it's like in gone in 60 seconds when they're in the the uh warehouse and they turn on the black light and the list of cars shows up it was there all along and now we can see it. <laughs> yeah. Dang. All right. Last one, man. Where do people keep up yeah. with you? I know you're all over the place, but where do yeah. people keep up with you? And that's that's it. And we'll get out of here. Yeah. Um, well, the short answer is any platform you're on, just look up at Tom Dupree the third. Uh Tom Dupree, I I I, and I'm probably on it. And my yeah. handle is the same on everything. 
Uh, if you want to understand the most about what I do, go to YouTube. Yeah. If you want to follow sort of behind the th- the scenes of like what I'm thinking about, uh, go to Instagram. And if you want to connect with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or my email address is I think in the about section on YouTube. And uh, I'd love to help however I can. Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for being on the show here course, and how much Thanks time you dedicated me. to it. I know this is a super long episode that I did not <laughs> plan to be this long, but like, Oh, good. Exp- dude, such, such good episode tonight. And I think people are going to feel that if they've listened this long, they, they know that this was yeah. legit. So cool. Yeah. yeah. Dude, thanks for having me, man. This has been a, bl- uh, a blast. Yeah. Thank you, man. Mm-hmm.